Lux Occult is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Mites asked how the cheese got there, and warmly debated the matter. The orthodox said that it came from the air, and the heretic said from the platter. They argued it long, and they argued it strong, and I hear they are arguing now. But of all the choice spirits who lived in the cheese, none of them thought of a cow. <laughs> that is a parable by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Hello and welcome to Luxacult. This is the podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin, and most other languages while discussing a variety of topics related to occultism and esotericism. I'm your host, Lux Estrada, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice, that means that this show and magic, for that matter, are for you if you want them. There are a lot of different ways to be more free in magic or making space for a spiritual practice in your life can be one of them. As always, I don't speak for anybody but myself. Others can, will, and should disagree with me. How we ever learn anything if we all agreed all the time after all? And like those who attempt to be reasonable should be willing to do, I am willing to revise my opinions based on new evidence. Sometimes I am just straight up fucking wrong. Indeed. I have two very fun and interesting conversations to share with you all today. First up, SM Kennedy and co-host of the Chaos Magic News podcast joined me for a very fun conversation in which we discussed maybe argued a little bit about some chaos magic philosophy, magical ontology and the magical models, splitting hairs with Carol and Spare, all kinds of fun stuff. A really fun conversation there. I also spoke with Bobby Hale from Listening Post Alpha about the experiments that he and other Temple of Babylon Karanzan agents are conducting using ghost boxes, the ALW Gamatria cipher, which is also called the English Gematria, cut-ups, and more uh, to deepen their connection with the esoteric currents around them. We'll also be hearing a few tracks from the upcoming We the Hollowed and Green Mushroom digital mixtape Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2, which will be released this Halloween, the mushroom's third birthday and the peak of haunting season. Check out wethehollow.com to find all types of cool offerings from folks like Keats Ross, Eric J. Malarche, Sam Shadow, and others for the We The Hollowed Occult Artist Collective, and greenmushroomproject.com to learn more about the Green Mushroom Project, an ongoing group magical working centered around fostering magical connections and helping individuals to become more agentic through the use of occult technologies, as well as strengthening our position against hate groups through solidarity. If you're interested in hanging out on Discord and learning more about Chaos Magic Tarot, Hyper Sigils, and all kinds of other good shit, or if you're into teaching people about stuff that you study, we have a lot of community talks and workshops and skill shares and the like, and we're always looking for more cool people to hang out with. Uh, we also like to do some online rituals, and we have a weekly voice chat. Lots of cool shit going on there. I'll do some more updates after the interviews about what's going on with the project. Lots of fun stuff. I will also share some stuff I wrote related to my upcoming album, Void Machine Adjustment, as well as some of your lovely tentacle poetry that folks sent in for the Poetry and Cryptography Contest. 
now that the date for entry has passed, it's safe to reveal the answer to the puzzle, which I will do later on in the episode. If you're confused about what I'm talking about, you can find the image for the contest on the Luxacult Instagram feed. And it's kind of my uh, homage to Hokusai's dream of the fisherman wife there with uh, me posing with a octopus plushie. And I'll reveal what that encrypted message says in that image later. Before we get any further into the fun here, I'd like to say thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me and my very rad guests here on this show. As I'm fond of saying, time is one of the few zero-sum games that we play in this world, so I really do appreciate you spending some of yours here with us. I'm very introverted and everything, and I don't use social media very much, and I'm also, like, disgustingly busy, but that also certainly doesn't mean that I don't want to hear from you all. I'm beyond lucky to have such amazing listeners, collaborators, cohorts, co-conspirators, etc. Um, I might be biased, well, I'm totally biased, but you all are pretty fucking awesome. The audience of this show continues to impress me with how cool and talented and everything you all are. If you would like to send in thoughts, questions, comments, suggestions, or arcane revelations for the listener mail segment, you can reach me at luxacultpod at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Instagram at luxacultpod. If you like the show and the other stuff I've been getting into, you can support it on Patreon. If you do so, you can take a bibliomancy break with me. There are no tiers or levels or whatever, so give as you will. Buy me a coffee is an option for those who wish to show their support with a one-time donation. Thank you so much to those of you who are already doing this. Your support makes this show possible by allowing me to cover the expenses associated with making it, uh, greatly helping me to justify to myself the amount of time I spend. (laughs) I appreciate the opportunity to be speaking into this microphone and all of that good stuff, so thank you so much for your support. All right, I'll be back later on to do shoutouts and introduce the episode within the episode featuring Bobby Hale to talk about the occult experiments of listening post-alpha and more. I'll also provide some context and thoughts regarding Gamatria and more. But now, without further ado, let's get into the first part of my conversation with the wiliest coyotes in the West. Everything's Kabbalah with Chaos Magic News. Leading us in, let's hear a track from Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2. This song, Sigil, is composed of Revel Ross's audiomancy and Seraph the Mage's mouth spells. It's a call to arms for a ghost aeon. This is New Lands by Dream Boys of the New Apocalypse. Haunt on. smoldering cities another terrible century begins shuddering down through spirals of time warlords and goose-stepping soldiers march in rank and line plague, war and rumours of war Europe in flames black rats vikings Fever ships and ghost galleons dock crews of poisoned men. The horror of history, the apocalypse is at hand. Foaming foul mouth flagellants, the holy man, burning coals for eyes. God will not desert us, repent and ye shall never die. The bow strung tight, the flaming arrow of Christ. 
St. Anthony's fire, blackened limbs, ecstatic visions, they feverishly twitch and dance. The apocalypse is at hand. Far away upon the ragged sea, safe in humble quarters, the children of older gods accompany me. We sail for new lands in the west, the country where the sun is set to rest. Fast asleep on the black ship, cutting the water like an evil prehistoric shark. All right, well, fuck yeah. My guests today are the hosts of Chaos Magic News. How should I refer to you all? I mean, I I prefer proprietor, editor-in-chief, God King, um, High Pontus Maximus, you know, all that sort of stuff. Those, but I mean, she wants your name. Oh, I mean, but no, no. Didn't you listen to the Castaneda episode? (laughs) Give me your personal history. (laughs) (laughs) Not getting power over me, Luxa. But yeah, you, you can just call me Kennedy or SM or, you know, literally anything that has the letters S and M in it, I I answer to at this point. I've just been trained like that. Like sadomasochism? Oh, see, that's the easy one. Everyone goes with that one, but yeah. Sure, I mean, low-hanging fruit, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you, know, you have listened to the show then, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> and co-host. You, you hit the nail on the head. Just co-host, I'm right there. It's perfect. Normally, for, for those who haven't heard the show, every episode I pick a different goofy name and there's a reason for that it's funny but yeah you can just call me co-host okay fuck yeah well sm kennedy co-host welcome thanks so much for joining me today oh, no no thank no you thank you us. so for folks that like haven't heard chaos magic news yet and aren't familiar with the podcast and the site and everything could you give uh, the listeners and i a little bit of background and context there Okay, I'll I'll give you the broad strokes of what we're about. You see, uh, Kennedy and I have known each other for quite a long time. We've always been sort of in the same occult circles, both in the real world and online. And we've just been, you know, we're 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 tight. And we both got pretty disillusioned with the state of online occultism for a lot of reasons. Some of it's on us. Some of it's on the sorry state of occultism. But we decided that. Rather than sit there, be sad boys about the the fact that we're not part of the super secret handshake club and we haven't found the invisible sect hiding off in the city somewhere, we were going to do something productive. So we were like, all right, what's the easiest, most lazy, boneheaded way to act like you're doing something? And we were like, oh, yeah, a podcast. <laughs> So well, I feel called out. Oh no, no, no! But it, no. it looks good on you. No, but it's good no, on you. don't worry, sweetie. It's cool on no, you. No, no, but for real, we were uh, we were like, well, we we're both chatterboxes and gibbering yahoos. So what can we talk about? It's like, well, rather than just going about, hey, this is magic. Where it's like, well, how do we relate an occult perspective to the world we live in? And then news came along very quickly with that and we're like all right we'll just roll with it so we run a podcast and a website that is dedicated to the latest in the occult world the latest in the real world and mindless pontification about our very strong opinions that no one really asked for but 
it's pretty fun stuff if you've got a decent sense of humor. And I think there's a lot of occultism that is missing that. Am I missing anything else? No, I think you just about covered it. I, I think the main idea behind the pod really was trying to come up with a occult podcast that was more in line with a sense of irreverence towards itself and occultism. Because, no offense to you, obviously, your podcast is great, but there are a lot of people, and I can name names, that have very dry, boring podcasts that do one of two things. They either interview people that actually have interesting things to say, and, you know, because they lack anything interesting to say, you know, um, Jason Love. Anyway, um, but, uh, or, yeah, or. We're going to get a letter. Yeah, yeah, but either Address that all or... complaints to Chaos Magic News. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they are in the camp of just regurgitating very simple things for people that don't people that aren't really in the know of occultism, which is fine. I'm not throwing shade against them for that. It's just not the sort of thing that people in my position and a lot of people I respect in the community are really about so much. Just, you know, it's because it's how many times you're going to hear someone explain the basics of the Golden Dawn system to you. You know what I mean? Well, how many times are they going to make a book for it? As many times as it will sell, my friends. Exactly. So I'm just just keep giving my money every time and then say, oh, oh I, now I finally figured it out. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I think that that's probably another big complaint is that there aren't a lot of new ideas in occultism. So it gets pretty old but at least when you can wrap it up with something like current events you know you're able to at least have something new to say yeah that makes sense oh yeah (laughs) so you mentioned the sort of sorry state of online occultism do we want to maybe go into that a little bit and kind of uh flesh out what some of that might look like for people who have been lucky enough to avoid it oh boy how much time you got (laughs) I mean, if you've been lucky enough to avoid it, I don't want to tell you about it because you're just going to get sad <laughs> or you're going to be like a, you know, you're going to be rubbernecking going, oh, I'm going to go find me some online occult train wrecks. Or you'll just be feeling good about your choices of not participating in it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, anyone that spent any amount of time dealing with virtually any social media, Facebook, Twitter, even Tumblr's really was at for a time was really bad. You'll just see constant reminders of why this stuff used to be like, <laughs> I don't know, bourgeois people like doing it in secret <laughs> because it's just turned into, I don't know what the word I want to use. I, I don't want to say LARP because I feel like LARP is the word that everyone throws out when you don't like someone else doing magic. You're like, oh, they're just LARPing. It's not real. But there's just an overwhelming sense of megalomania, self-importance, and contrary to what I said earlier, total irreverence towards the subject. I mean, you know, you're, you're a chaos magic person. Every time, I, I, in fact, I remember like when I first got into this years ago, how quickly I was like, oh, wow, this is just kind of a a farm of people trolling, isn't it? If you ask a question about anything, you'll get like the same five stock answers from so many people. You'll get a huge paragraph about some complex issue. You'll get told something that's just a complete joke. You'll get nothing is true. Everything is permitted about five different times. And other than that, like you'll have some crazy person telling you how to do magic, even though it's 
ostensibly chaos magic, right? And and the the big names in the occult communities, people like your your Lon Milos and your Georgina Roses and your Gordon Whites, have gone. Well, I mean, I don't have bad things to say about Lawn. I just think that Lawn falls into that area of rewriting the same kind of books for people over and over again. I love you, Lawn. Don't come at me. Lawn is very sweet. I've actually spoken with him. I doubt he I would know. come at you. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's... I, uh... He's going to write a song about you. Oh, God. That's what he'll do. God. He's going to pick up that guitar, and he's going to write a song about how bad your podcast is, and then who's going to be looking foolish. I mean, I mean, honestly, not... if Lon wrote a song about how bad my podcast is, I would play it on every episode of my podcast. <laughs> yeah, it would be the theme <laughs> song. I've made what it are you now. talking about? <laughs> I've been vindicated. But and and I th- here I'll I'll cut in real quick. I think that aside from the fact that there are a plethora of occultists online that are not particularly good at magic yet very very uh, very good at being chronically online, you'll also find people that are a a hotbed of strong personalities that people circle and orbit around. And it does create this problem of different ideas being choked out. You know, no one's, you basically have to fall in line with what certain people have already said about occultism. Otherwise, no one wants to listen to you. And it's like, ah, you're wrong. And then even when it comes down to something like chaos magic, where we try to go on the idea of, well, do something, test it, see if it works. If it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't, try something else. You'll still find that certain ideas predominate. And on one hand, when you're making a podcast, you're basically saying, hey, everybody, listen to what I got to say because I know what I'm talking about. But at the very least, there seems to be this need for new voices to come out. You know, and that's, I think that's with everything. There's always, you always need new blood circling in and out of communities. Otherwise things get stagnant. And I think that's kind of what's happened. Hell yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And and there are good people, you know, Matt from Chaos Terror has been doing this for fucking ever at this point, And we love Tommy him. Kelly. Tommy Kelly. Tommy Kelly's great. Yeah. Hell yeah. Shout out to both of those people. Fuck yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there, there are great people still doing stuff, but you'll even notice that a lot of them have distanced themselves from the greater community as a whole. I mean, hell, I remember when I could find Tommy Kelly, like just posting in chaos magic groups back in the day. And he don't do that shit no more. <laughs> Probably because he got burnt out like the rest of us did. Cause how many times are you going to hear the same shit and see the same people being terminally online talking about magic? You know, um, I think the, I think a lot of it is not a issue that's, particularly a problem with the occult community so much as a lot of online discourse but in an age where online discourse is so much of what makes human interaction human interaction for better or worse it's a it's still a big problem so you know like i said ultimately cmn was kind of an attempt to just do something that was more productive entertaining and informative by the end of it Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it sort of was likewise with my show. I didn't see anybody talking about doing this shit the way that I was doing it. And so I was like, well, maybe people would be interested in that, right? And it sounds kind of similar. So fuck yeah, totally makes sense. As the saying Mm -hmm. goes, you want something done, you got to do it yourself, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about chaos magic in general. You've chosen to go with, you know, chaos magic news and people that listen to this show have heard me wax poetic at length about 
all the things that I love about Chaos Magic. There's a lot there to recommend. What are you all into about it? Like in, yeah, in terms of how you define it and all of that good stuff. Man, we've... um. Yeah, well, we we tackled this, I think. That was like our big thing in the first episode. And I think maybe the third episode, we spent, we kind of laid our cards on the table about why we're coyotes still, coyote, whatever term you want to use. I think the conclusion we kind of came to is that even at this late stage, you know, Chaos Magic starts in, what's the year, co-host? I don't freaking remember at this point. Off the top of my head, I don't remember, but we call it, you know, I, I always just think like late 70s, early 80s into the 90s. So you were talking, you know, 40, you know, 40-ish years at this point. Right, right. And, and you and I also kind of trace chaos magic farther back than necessarily when the term chaos magic starts actually getting used. We kind of sure. go back more to like, oh, I, I think know, Robert Anton Wilson. I, like, I yeah. think Robert Anton Wilson is the proto-chaos magician, and you can probably trace it a little further back than that. I think Sparrow is definitely um, in there, for sure, as being a influential. Mm, he's, well, that's, he's like the, he's definitely a, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. This is it's all like, semantics, though, in terms well, of well, when yeah, you right, to define right. it, right? Like, yeah. Well, it's like, I, I'd give it to Spare in a, a lot of ways, but Spare. If you if you were to talk to Spare, he didn't consider what he was doing, you know, chaos. Like, granted, they didn't have the words, but I don't think he would consider what he was doing the same kind of uh, practice and approach that chaos magicians would later. I, a lot of what he did, Ooh, I don't know. I would I would push back on that. I think that he might have because I've, I read read a lot of his writing and stuff, and the way that he thinks about magic, it seems pretty in line with a lot of modern chaos magic ideas, at least in terms of my interpretation of it. It's not. It's not easy to parse his writing all the time. <laughs> so that could okay. be me projecting as well. No, 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 no. If you, if you think so, then like I'm, I'm more than willing to tell you you're wrong. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Well, I mean, I think the real answer is that if you came to Spare and asked him like, hey, what do you think of Chaos Magic? He'd say, get out of my house. I'm hanging out with my cats right now. But, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, well, I'm a huge spare fan. <laughs> well, no. Oh, and, yeah. and that's the thing. So am I is the, is the thing. But it's one of those that I... I, I don't think, and I could be wrong. I'm more than willing to say that I, I could be wrong about this. I think that, I'm trying to think of a good way to put this, Spare's interpretation of symbolism isn't quite the same as Carol's in the idea of any symbol is valid if you can make it work. I think Spare had an approach that seemed to be more on the idea that and you know, if you think I'm wrong, please tell me. It seemed like he wanted to delve within himself and pull out the images that seemed to work, if that makes sense. The idea that he he seemed to feel that there was a totality that was in you that you could reach into and pull something out. And I think chaos magic, as Carol put it, kind of worked on the back end where it was like you you find the symbol system and you use that to get into the uh the internal where Kia can manifest. I don't know. Tomato, tomato there. I would say okay. that a lot of what Carol talks about was just sort of reworded spare stuff. So like, but it's, it's possible that, you know, depending on how we look at it, we could see Kia coming from an external or internal source and spare versus Carol. I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. Well, now we're, we're, getting, we're, we're, we're getting into a full on ontology <laughs> no, conversation this is, uh... here. And if we do that, I'm going to start talking about a lot of stuff that your listeners are going to tune out to immediately. <laughs> Let's um, look, well, look, look, look. People, people listening, if you have thoughts about this, 
write us and let us know because I'm always curious to hear people's uh, nuanced opinions about Austin Osmond's Fair or Peter Carroll. Right, right. I, I honestly, I feel like. I need to do like two days of research and backing up my stuff and then come back at you with this where it's like, nah, he said this. Please about- do. <laughs> I, <love that. laughs> I would like to have that conversation. I really would. The point I was getting at was that even at this late stage in its development, there has not been a major, there hasn't been another major development in occultism since chaos magic. Chaos magic at this point is still kind of, for better or worse, the leading edge of occultism. Granted, we can argue that it's fallen on hard times and it's not doing the sort of innovation and crazier things that it was doing in, in the earlier days, but there's not really anything that has at this point in my mind. I think um, the prevalence of tech magic is sort of where that's going to now, but most of those people are chaos too at this point, whether they agree with the label or not. Well, that's something I also... I've harped on the show about it. I've harped in person about it. I just talk about it when occultism comes up. The ideas that chaos magic put forward is something that whether intentional or not has spread to the greater occult community. You can talk to people that are Wiccans and you can talk to the new age crowd and you can talk to lots of different, uh, quote unquote traditions or, uh, subcultures of magic. And a lot of the notions of, the eclectic approach, the the emphasis on belief and intent as being the important aspects of spellcraft, overall feeling of like don't let your don't let anyone tell you how your practice is going to take shape. These are all things you can look at and say this kind of has its roots in the chaos magic movement, which started as the attempt to break away from the more stuffy rogue tradition. So, and the proliferation of occultism to the mainstream, or at very least to a greater amount of people, thanks to the internet and everything else, you can see that chaos magic has, in a way, infected everything else. So, you might as well go to the source, rather than doing, essentially, chaos magic with a a Wicca coding on top, or a, a New Age coding, or a... Or like, um, a, I, I guess, what, like a TikTok dimensional shifter coding on top? Yeah, absolutely. I think I would tend to agree with that. I think that for me, chaos magic is very much like the, the idea of like the meta contextual understanding that there is a sort of like, you know, universality to the way that some of these function is like part of that. But I think that that's sort of baked into a lot of these cast magic adjacent traditions that you mentioned now and, and a lot of them are just sort of rebranded or maybe what we could consider like a chaos magic paradigm or something like that and that doesn't you know that's not to take shots at anybody it's sure. just to show it's it's just to show how much these ideas have spread out and infected everything else it's sort it's it's kind of like nobody nobody really talks about like st- the harnessing of the stellar rays anymore unless you're doing a very specific type of tradition the 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 ideas of uh these very narrow ideas of uh of specific traditions that just sort of stop where they stop where it's like no one really talks about you know loas outside of voodoo and everything like that you know cl- close practice all that but the the point being that because chaos magic had that meta approach and that very flexible idea, these are ideas that were very easily plucked and applied to everything else in the same way that you can pluck and apply any idea to chaos magic. I would actually, 
I, I think I want to argue at least that a lot of that starts with like the theosophical tradition and it gets brought forward into like the Lama and stuff like that. Because, and I think that's a, it's, it's the difference though, between having like a full blown meta structure for these sorts of ideas and having a very heavy syncretism with, you know, whatever your choice of spiritual spooky woo woo nonsense at the top is. Because as far as I can see, like the universality of chaos magic is just function. There's no like uniting. I mean, like I said, there's not even really an ontological kind of structure or a metaphysics behind it. It's the only thing you can really point to that unites all of these practices from a chaos magic perspective is that you can get results by doing things and you can come up with different paradigms to explain the connections between them. But from a, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, anyone who's listened to our stuff already knows where I'm going with this. But if you look at it from like a phenomenological kind of perspective, just looking at the phenomena, that's all we have to go on is that we know that if we take these sorts of practices and perform them in whatever sort of fashion, we can get results out of them in certain ways. But there's no like, it's not like the Lama where you can go and point at it and be like, oh, well, yes, this part is a representation of the will or, oh, this is like an aspect of Babylon. Sure. Yeah. I think for me, like the, the point is the actual understanding, like the, the action that you, that you describe taking of like knowing that you can extract these techniques, right? Right. Yeah. It's a very, chaos magic is a utilitarian sort of phenomena. That's exactly what it is. It's what works. Okay, well, fuck yeah. If it works for you all, how do you feel about taking a bibliomancy break? We could do a little bit of magic right now. I am always down for just doing magic instead of talking about it. So perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fuck yeah. Hey, Luxa, what do you have there? It looks like a tattered old Discord server. Oh, this old thing? It's pretty beat up. But if I use this... Sweet! Now that you peeled off the outer bits, it looks fresh as hell. We should call it the Green Machine. Awesome! I fucking hate it! That's okay. It should function alright, but it would probably work better if we had more people. Yeah! We have an awesome crew of chaos, occultists, socialists, witches, and weirdos, but there's always room for more. Absolutely! If you'd like to take part in any of our many chats, rituals, workshops, clubs, and more, hit me up and I will send you a link. You can reach me at luxacultpod at gmail.com or at luxacultpod on Instagram. And remember... Resist. Fuck yeah. Hey, what's up? It's me, Luxa from the future. Thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're going to be returning to more of my chat with SM Kennedy and co-host from Chaos Magic News in just a bit here. We'll be getting into more stuff about Chaos Magic, including a discussion about the models of magic and more. You will learn which of the sort of, I don't know, classic five Chaos Magic models of magic I prefer feel like I just said magical fucking lot. Uh, you've got the spirit, energy, psychology, information, or meta models. I'll tell you which one I prefer and why. SM Kennedy and co-host will share thoughts about sandwich divination and other oracular adventures as we take a bibliomancy break, and there's much more. But now it's time for the episode within the episode. Bobby Hale joined to tell me about some of the experiments that listening post-Alpha and the Temple of Babylon Karanzan have been conducting involving ghost boxes, cut-ups, and the English Kabbalah. So to provide a little bit of context, let's ask Wikipedia what that is here. 
So English Kabbalah is something that's supported by a system of arithmancy or numerology that interprets the letters of the English alphabet via an assigned set of values. This was discovered by James Lees in 1967. It's the result of an intent to understand, interpret, and elaborate on the mysteries of Aleister Crowley's received texts, Liber Alvaldigis, aka the Book of the Law. This system has also been referred to as the ALW cipher, New Eon English Kabbalah, or NAEQ by other writers. So ALW cipher is called that because A equals 1, L equals 2, and W equals 3. So if you write the cipher in order of the number values, it goes A-L-W-H-S-D-O-Z-K, and it goes on from there. Um, you can check that out on Wikipedia or other places. So these types of collaborative magical experiments are always fun and interesting. I'll share a little bit about 23 Bibliomancy after the interviews here and what the folks have over at Listening Post Alpha and Temple of Babylon Karanzan is a uh, yeah, really cool and interesting stuff. So to get us into that, let's hear another track from the Green Mushroom Project and We the Hollow Digital Mixtape Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2. This one from my next guest. This is The Elemental Tables of Judy's Jungle by Bobby Hale.
Well, my guest today is Bobby Hale. Bobby, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? Going pretty well, pretty well. Thanks so much for joining me. It's good to be here. Well, I'm super excited to hear about your I, spirit box uh, divination experiments, I guess would be one <laughs> way of describing it. But maybe it would be better to let me let you uh, tell the listeners about what you've got going on. Yeah, I mean, what we're doing is pretty unique. I don't think that there have been any experiments quite like what we're doing with the listening post-alpha um, in the history of occultism. Uh, part of that is because of the confluence with the technologies that seem to have really arrived and uh, met each other uh, through the the temple here, Temple Babylon Kronzon. And um, basically what we're doing in short is uh, we're doing experimental uh, mediumistic sessions using a uh, PSB7 spirit box. That's standard issue in listening post-alpha. Of course, any other type of spirit box is welcome. And uh, what we do essentially is, I mean, we all do different things. All, all the members have kind of different processes that they use to kind of get there. But um, the basic thing is that you do the mediumistic session and record um, what comes out of the spirit box. Uh, sometimes we ask questions, sometimes we just open it up and we listen and record. And um, then we submit the words that we've received and the phrases that we received to the ALW cipher um, using it for gematria. And this is not a really a traditional way of using gematria, whereas like maybe you're just looking up one word to verify a, an experience or a correspondence between spirits or something like that. But what we're, what we're trying to do is um, build up a database of correspondences and uh, see if we can derive any sorts of like secret messages from that data. And some of that, those messages can be, I mean, the messages can um, deal with content from like certain rituals to do at certain times of the year, um, what kinds of gods or goddesses to talk to or to uh, appeal to uh, for certain things. I would say that at the core, what we're doing is just esoteric research. Um, there are magical methods being used and all that, but what we're really doing is trying to uh, build bridges for ourselves to a deeper understanding of um, esotericism in general and the the spirit realm or the ultra terrestrial realm and uh, ourselves. Okay, hell yeah, very cool. Could you give me a little bit of background about the ALW Gematria? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the ALW cipher is uh, the answer offered up to uh, Libra to uh, Liber Alvel Legis's riddle in verse 276 
there's a little cipher associated with the uh it's like a i can't remember exactly it's like a big long string of numbers and letters and you know it's like uh what does the fool knowest of this you know and uh it's it's connected <laughs> everybody thinks it's connected to this uh to this other verse in liberal which is about um, finding new symbols, uh, a new order of value to attribute them unto. And so everybody thinks there's kind of like this new gematria lurking somewhere in Liberal. And they decided that, well, it would probably make sense that it's somehow connected to this cipher. And if you look at certain printings of Liberal, um, you will find this uh, where he's taken on the backside of 276 uh, Crowley, I suppose was the one who did this and kind of did this uh, 10 by 11 grid pattern and then drew a line and a circle with a cross in the middle. And this English occultist who was involved in this order called the OAA um, was on magical retreat, I think in 1976, actually, and uh, sometime in November, uh, a light bulb went off and he was like, oh, well, maybe there's something to this uh, separation of the letters by 11. You know, 11's the m- number of magic. 11 is K. The, the magic number K is uh, traditionally associated with, it's uh, traditionally the 11th number. You could go on and on about the significance of 11 and occultism. So it, to me, it makes sense just based on that level that if there is a new English pattern to be formed, that it's either that's it, you know, uh, the this affine cipher where um, each English letter is separated by 11, or it's uh, lurking within that pattern. Like there's a deeper pattern maybe lurking within the correspondences of that pattern. Now, I'm not too hung up on all that, but that is, that's where it comes from. And then um, I guess in the 80s and 90s, the cipher makes its way over to America via William Wallace Webb, WWW, who was... He was an occultist, a uh, Thelemite, and I think he was a bishop. I can't remember who initiated him, but he was some some type of Thelemic bishop, right? And um, he was a mentor to like Alan Greenfield and a lot of other Southern-based uh, occultists during the 80s and 90s. And he introduced all the all those guys to this cipher, and um, Alan Greenfield had the idea to start using it for uh, ufological research. Okay, yeah, I was just about to ask: Is it the Alan Greenfield that wrote the secret cipher of the yes. ufonauts? That's probably okay. the most famous. Yeah, and that's probably the most famous <laughs> all right, all right. book dealing with this uh, this this topic. And uh, I think there are other better books to introduce the topic uh on the on the other side of the pond um from coming from Haiti and Press but his book is really an epiphany because he's like well this Jamatran stuff's pretty interesting but it's not totally convincing to anybody that really really knows their Thelema um you know, there's, there's some things that don't really make sense. And, uh, so what is it with this cipher though? It's come to all of us for a reason. We're having all these, it seems to work in a synchronistic, synchromystical way. 
and um, maybe, you know, he was really into UFOs. And so he started kind of using it for his ufological research and he got some interesting stuff. He writes about it in secret cipher and uh, the book about the men in black or whatever, which is not really a book about the men in black, by the way, but um, it's more of the ritual <laughs> stuff on the ritual side of, of the spectrum. But um, what the real, the real deal with Greenfield is um, this thing called Tau Hasirum scrying method. And it's kind of a secret document. It's out there. I'm not sure if he's republished it or not, if it's actually been published in anything. But I received this document a couple of years back, and he proposes this scrying method and associates it to the 97 degrees of the Memphis Misrium Rite, which is like a, a Masonic, a French Masonic Rite, or maybe it was a Spanish Masonic Rite. I can't remember. But... It had 97 degrees and he, they associate the night, they correspond the 97 degrees to the, all the Enochian aethers and to 97 points on the body. And the scrying method is this technique where you kind of, you get into a, a, an asana. Well, I guess first you would maybe call up the Enochian uh, aether, but it's not, I don't think that's in the, in the actual thing, but you would uh, call up the Enochian aether, get in the asana, and then you would kind of do a, a scrying session. You would go deep within and kind of uh, try to scry the ether like that within your asana. And you're, what you're looking for there is a word or an image with a word, a, a picture uh, that you can bring back and, and, uh, that you intuitively believe confers the degree, right? And so the way that you confirm the degree is that it somehow shows correspondence through the ALW cipher. And that's, I think, a lot closer to what we're doing in LPA, where we're taking a magical technique and we're um, finding like certain words or certain phrases that are correspond to what like our esoteric research or our deepest deeper questions or something like that. Um, and we have had some, uh, we have had some, some weird esoteric downloads from our sessions about masonry and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's weird because none of us are masons. None of us are, I wasn't really even interested in that stuff when I started doing this. So those type of things, it's like, it has a mind of its own. It has things that it wants us to do and it calls you in. And it's like, so I'm really trying to get behind like, what this cipher is uh, as a being um, and if other other beings are accessing it or if they can if, if they can use it to kind of tune in to us you know if we lay it down like in this mechanized thing like and it seems like the answer is yes you know um, and, and like Greenfield I think he didn't you know with the UFONaut stuff it's kind of like a dead thing, you know, he even kind of says, well, look, if it's like, like a flight list or something for UFOs, then it doesn't really make much sense for it to be out there for all of us to see, you know, but it, it still, it works, you know, and it even works um, when it's like a, a mass sighting. That's not even a, a UFO. Like, so just recently we had the big, uh, balloon chinese weather balloon flyovers you know and the the accompanying panic do you remember that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, okay so like that that one had some really interesting correspondences 
And almost every time that there's some sort of event like that, there are like these perfect correspondences. So it's almost like, um, yeah, interesting. So you kind of get like flare ups that correspond with sightings or other. Exactly. Events. It's and it's like yeah, and it's all it's all kind of like based on this time thing, you know. And it's like it's it really it's it kind of it, it's like I've learned a lot about esotericism and all that, you know. And I've learned more about magic and but it's like I feel a lot more. Uh, it's less about my will or what I want, you know. I think everybody's kind of feeling that in the group that it's more like something is using this cipher to guide us. And it's all, it's like you're stepping on like mines, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not going to kill you or anything, hopefully, but you're stepping on these, these like time bombs, you know, and they, and when you step on them, all this like wild uh, information comes out, you know? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to say like in other areas, like in places like parapsychology, there's been some phenomena that's been observed where, you know, around world events, like things like, you know, that they've used are like random number generators and things like that to sort of like test, you know, to what extent are these like things being influenced by like the massive, you know, sub subconscious or, you know, however you want to call it. Um, and there have been, you know, statistically significant results surrounding this stuff, which is interesting, you know, yeah. so there's, Oh, okay. So I found, this, I found like, this, uh, I found this correspondence, just the words Chinese balloon, right? One equals 162 together. And so they shot this Chinese balloon down with a missile over Myrtle beach, South Carolina. Okay all facts and all things that nobody really could have predicted. And I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying that like somebody's doing this, like there's a secret puppet master, you know, I'd really don't want to get into these like conspiratorial realms, you know, but anyways, Chinese balloon equals Myrtle beach. And it's like, okay, okay. so we, that's where we shot down. The Chinese balloon was a Myrtle beach. And then it also equals uh rituals of the secret house, you know? And so it's like, it does, it does kind of, it is like telling you that it's like there is some sort of uh, maybe trans-dimensional group of beings that are sort of uh, orchestrating these happenings in order for some reason, you know, uh, whether it's just like to raise awareness, <laughs> you know what I mean? Something like that. You know, I mean, I, I think that it's interesting to think about. I would honestly, so I have a background in science and stuff. So things like hypothesis testing and everything are like of huge interest to me. So like, yeah. I would say that my opinion about things like that is that it's like an interesting, th these things to me are interesting, like psychological experiments to conduct, to get yourself into like a mode of magical thinking, Yeah, absolutely. which I think is sort of like what a lot of them are sort of designed for. But I sort of hesitate because there's so much, you know, like bias in terms of how we select, like, you know, I'm sure that it would equal other things like other than, you know, Myrtle Beach, right? I'm sure maybe it equals like ice cream oh, sundae and car tire or like, thing, you know, other. Yeah, and, so, and like, so, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's absolutely the uh, yeah, the the uh, the the veil of gematria. You know what I mean? Is that like this is a this is a thing to get it to get you into that um, Gnostic frame of mind you know what i mean mm -hmm. which i think is dope and so okay maybe on that like kind of note could you walk us through what a typical like session looks like 
Well, I mean, like, there is no, like, typical session. Um, everybody in the group is doing different things. Like, Leah, okay, okay, I love Leah it. will do, Leah does usually, like, if she's doing it by herself, she doesn't really do any sort of, like, ritual or anything. And I mean, but then other times, like, she did this work with Gabriel, where it was very ritualistic, you know? And, um, like, we were using, like, old school grimoires and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then let's see, like last, uh, during the fall, during what we call the 418 season, we did some work with the Mayotte current, Horace Mayotte current. We did some work with, uh, the Temple Zara Gwen and the Voodoo Gnostic workbook. So we're doing all kinds of different things, you know, so it looks different all the time, but the only, the basic ritual, how I started out doing it was just picking up the spirit box, putting on some headphones, pulling out a notebook and just listening in to whatever I'm hearing and writing it down and then going back and doing uh, ALW analysis on the data and um, seeing if there was anything. And, and from that, I, you know, I instantly started getting feedback, you know, in one of my earliest sessions, I was asked, I asked basically like, help me find a place to get a job. And it gave me some like verbal cues and then the place showed up in my mind like almost like an ESP sort of thing. And then um, I immediately went and applied to the place and got the job, you know? Okay, fuck yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, divination is so dope. I was hoping before I let you go that we might be able to touch on Twin Peaks, though, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Hell yeah. Twin Peaks uh, was not important to me until suddenly it was. Um, (laughs) you know, um, I had watched Twin Peaks. I loved Twin Peaks. I thought it was cool. I knew that there were like esoteric concepts involved and blah, blah, blah. And the the transcendental meditation thing with, with, uh, but I I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a big deal to me until one day, January 1st, 2019, I think it was, I was sitting in my uh, temple watching Firewalk with me. I'd never seen Firewalk with me before. It's so fucked up. Yeah, it is such a it's fucked like, up movie. Right? They really yeah. like ex- they show a lot of like the things that were kind of hinted at in the TV show are sort of like made more explicit in the movie. They fill in a lot of blanks. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And um, yeah, and I have this whole. I'm I'm getting ready to come out with a book about with my whole like esoteric, yeah, interpretation of that film. But um, what I will say is that what happened to me on January first is I'm sitting, I'm watching this movie is this really just wild synchronistic confluence. I was watching the scene with uh, where there's this dead, uh, she's a prostitute. Her name's Teresa Banks. And she was actually like Laura Palmer's madam, I think, or or like her handler or whatever in in that game. And um, I guess anyways, she's Leland's first victim. And um, there's a scene where he's like, where she's, um, her corpse is laying on the table and they're inspecting her corpse and they're looking at doing the autopsy and they notice that there is this cut out piece of paper underneath her fingernail and they pull that piece of that cut out piece of paper out of her fingernail and the letter is T and um, I just happen to be sitting at a table with a big pile of cut ups in front of me like cut up headlines and esoteric texts and all kinds of stuff 
And it just dawned on me in that moment to pull a line, you know, and the line I pulled said, see myself. And I said, well, that's pretty weird because, you know, that's like the, 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 like, it's almost like a metaphor. Like there's this big pile of like dead information sitting in front of me, you know, and, um, there's, you know, somebody just pulled a line from her or a letter from her finger and I'm pulling this piece of paper from the pile and there's some sort of confluence going on here and it says, see myself. So there's this reflective moment going on. And then uh, later I go and I check it by the cipher and it turns out that see myself equals Teresa Banks. And um, Hmm. that was pretty much when I started taking the cipher seriously. Now, then I also find out, you know, that Teresa Banks equals the corpse and all this kind of stuff. And so that situation was still kind of like, it's really sinking in still. And like just recently I did an LPA session where I tried to call up Teresa Banks, you know, this fictional character. And um, I had all these reoccurring numbers from my original writings on that come up in the session with, with certain lines or whatever. And um, the number for see myself and Teresa Banks came up. And this time it was, I was like, is this Teresa Banks? You know, it was like this, that moment. And then it's pause. It's like, it's something everyone needs. Right. And that turns out and I go back and I do the analysis and that moment equals 141 Teresa Banks, you know, so there's just stuff like that, you know, is why, I, why I stay with this, this system and why I think that there's something very special about Twin Peaks. And it may not be that there's something special about Twin Peaks just with like, my vibe, you know, and who I am and my path, but it might be something else with you, you know, and I've seen people have different, you know, cool experiences with different movies and stuff like that using the same kind of techniques. But that moment, you know, where everything kind of comes together is, is a very important thing, I think, in a magical or a mystical practice. Yeah, no, for sure. Like whatever it is that speaks to us can use a variety of different methods, but the things that we connect with the most strongly might be the easiest to hear those messages exactly. messages yeah. in or something like that. So yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, I love Twin Peaks. And I was thinking too about how in the later parts of the show, there's some stuff about like ciphers and like you know, UFOs that come into it. Well, and yeah, it's very out, show, well, yeah, yeah, like listening post alpha is the <laughs> is where Major Garland Briggs works and he's Oh, that's yeah, right. He's okay, listening, yeah, fuck yeah. He's listening to all these he's getting all these weird uh yeah, all these like printouts and you know, they're they're like testing radio waves from outer space and from the inner earth and all this stuff and and he comes with that sheet out, you know, the or the the printout sheet that has like what is it says Cooper the owls the are owls, not what they owls seem. Owls <laughs> what they seem, yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah, and, and um, you know, I'm going to be breaking that down in the Twin Peaks book of numbers real soon. That'll be out probably okay, sometime next fun. year. But yeah, all that stuff is, it's it's super important to like the gr- the ground mythos of what we're doing. and But it's not really until recently that I started taking it, those symbols very seriously as like uh, maybe TV 
characters can kind of manifest in reality, you know, like, I mean, I, I know that was kind of a crazy idea, a zany idea, but, you know, I think that in some way, you know, they're already connected to some deep archetypal sort of tissue or something, you know, and, um, Oh yeah. yeah this, about, I mean, you're on a chaos magic podcast here. So this is something that my listeners will be familiar with. For yeah, sure. like, so, yeah. so like in the work of John Keel, like in the eighth hour, he talks a lot about how these symbols and these beings, like the way that they manifest kind of morphs over time and, and under certain, you know, certain conditions and stuff, you know? And so it's like, I think that's basically what Twin Peaks is about to, to a certain extent, especially the return when you bring in like part eight with the, the nuclear blast and, and, Bob being yeah. birthed out of the mouth of Judy and all this kind of there's so much yeah. yeah there's so much fun occult shit in there I've done like extensive occult analysis of it on my own so Excellent. I'm looking yeah, forward to, so cool. to seeing your take on yeah there's that. a lot so and you know there's around. a lot of people yeah there's a lot of people that are into it and that's what I keep finding more and more people that are like yeah man Twin Peaks I've done all this work and it's crazy and I'm like yeah I see it's fun yeah it's good stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, so where can listeners find your work? Well, um, you can find our uh, Listening Post Alpha Journal Year One on Amazon right now. That's Listening Post Alpha Journal Year One. And you can contact me or any of the other agents, uh, Keats Ross, uh, Samantha Shadow, Leah Ferris, Steve Ray, uh, Gracho Trout. And, you know, if you, if you want to talk or if you're interested in doing some work with us or just want to know more, but we keep it pretty, we keep it pretty silent and pretty uh, secret until we put out the journals. So yeah, that's how you can get in touch with us. And also Temple of Babylon Kronzon. Okay. Hell yeah. So if people are interested in doing work with you all, like what type of requirements are, would they need to meet? Well, we do an initiatory, um, thing at once a year um, during the reception uh, days of Liber Alva Legis. So that's April 8th to 11th. Um, you have to complete one transmission with a spirit box. You have to own a spirit box, complete a transmission with a spirit box on reception weekend and produce and uh, submit a report for the jerk. And, okay, and, very cool. and as long as you're not a turd, or a bastard or a psychopath and, and and maybe one or two of those things, we might still let you in. Then, uh, you know, we'll, we can probably be, we, we can probably set you up a division wherever you are. So. All right. Fantastic. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Super interesting shit. Appreciate hey, it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I was, I was so excited when I heard uh, Keats talking about it. I was, and I heard, you know, you had some other people on talking about uh, num esoteric number theory and stuff. And I was like, well, this would fit in perfectly. So, and I, you know, I was excited. Yeah, no, thank excited you so to much for to reaching out. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was cool at Honquinox, but it was, you know, all the chaos and all the people in and out, you know, so it's good to say hi and to, and to really, you know, have a sit down for a minute and uh, get to get to know each other's esoteric mind frames. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, fuck yeah. Well, keep on listening, I suppose. Absolutely. All right.
right, fuck yeah. Thanks so much to Bobby Hale. Check out the show notes for links to many things related to listening post-alpha and the Temple of Babylon Karanzan. There's some Facebook groups and links to Bandcamp and Amazon and stuff. I'll talk about the group oracular work myself and participants of the Green Mushroom Project have been conducting 23 Bibliomancy, in which we are compiling the 23rd line of the 23rd page of books and arranging them using random chance on the 23rd day of the month. More on that later. Now, how about a bit of tentacle poetry from the Cryptography and Poetry Contest? Winners will be announced in October, but beforehand, I'm going to be sharing all of the cool poetry I received. Thanks so much to everybody who participated in the contest. I really appreciate it. So this first one follows the classic haiku format and is by Horace Beauregard. Octopi are smart. They can even open jars. Tentacle power. Lovely. Thank you so much, Horace. And I think accurate as well, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Three Weird Eyes plays with rhyme and meter for this next one. At the apex of Master Ohm's tower, shown the secret of tentacle power. For occult currents flow from potentials, you know, an affront to which seeks to devour. A very evocative limerick there, I love it. Thank you so much to Three Weird Eyes, fantastic. Alright, so you may have guessed that the answer to the puzzle is the phrase tentacle power. Thanks so much to everybody who sent in poetry and questions about the puzzle. Alright, fuck yeah, let's get back into the rest of my conversation with S.M. Kennedy and co-host of Chaos Magic News, as well as that bibliomancy break. After the interview, I'll give you an update about the Green Mushroom Project and share a portion of the essay that I'm writing to accompany my newest album, Void Machine Adjustment. We'll also do listener mail and shoutouts. An early shout-out, though, to Ethan Lynch, who contributed this next track to Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2, and writes of it that it is a song or score for an intended video project, which is planned to have a lot of garish planetary symbolism and hypnotic techniques tied to repetitive, simple body motions reflected in it to explain and kind of immerse the viewer in. Alright, fuck yeah, sounds very interesting. Love it. This is Luna by Ethan Lynch.
Welcome to the Bibliomancy break, SM Kennedy and co-host. Do you all have a question for the Oracle? And also, do you have a D4 and a D8? If not, no worries. I have them right here. Ah, uh, you should have got the astrology dice, co-host. Oh, man. No, well, those are both D12s, so... Ah, damn it. No, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> and I do need numbers, not astrological signs to read the... Uh, well, the roll table, but one of the one of them had a one of them had numbers on it. Hold on, I I do have something because I just started doing D and D, so I've got the the Beyond app on my phone. Fantastic. So All right. what? Hold on. What were the a D four and a D eight? A D four and a D eight. All right. Now my my dungeon master is going to be like, why the hell are you rolling on a Monday night? What's up? <laughs> you said a D four. Are you cheating on me? <laughs> <laughs> All right, D four and D eight. How about uh, uh, do do we? Okay, what what question do you want to pose to the oracle? What have we got? Are you thinking anything, man? I I have one thing, but it's only something I care about. So no, do you fine. have Go one ahead. you want to ask? No, no, no. <laughs> ask away. Um. Okay. Am I going to get this damn computer fixed? <laughs> I care very much about that. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't care about the pod. <laughs> All right, go <laughs> go ahead and roll the dice, please. All right, we got a five and a four. All right, excellent. So let's see. It's going to be from the book Symmetry by Marcus de Satoy. Let me go and find it. I will be right back here. All right, I have returned and I have the text here in my hand. All right. Oh, Eris, please tell us, will SM Kennedy be able to get the computer fixed? Produce as much symmetry as possible in the sound waves that vibrate inside the box. <laughs> All right. You heard him. <laughs> it's kind of You're on the fucking nose. Thank you, Eris. Yeah. There you go. You just got to... You just got to balance out the box and it's going to work. It'll be fine. No, I just have yeah. to scream into the box and get a proper waveform. Got it. <laughs> so what you need for your computer box is more symmetry. And then the sound waves in your podcast editing software. There you will go. Be okay. And they'll vibrate. <laughs> All right. Okay. I got an idea. Uh, get a tuning fork, right? Oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, hail Eris. That's wonderful. I'll help this great. 23 skidoo. Are you a, are you actually like a big Discordian person? I didn't know that. You know, I've dabbled, but I would never yeah. admit to being a Discordian. <laughs> yeah, you'll get excommunicated if you do. <laughs> well, the joke's on you because I'm a pope and I'm invoking infallibility to have you excommunicated right now. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really care about it that much anyway, so... <laughs> I just you just gotta love a religion where anybody can invoke infallibility at any moment and then just be like, I want you gone. Because then the other person could be like, uh, this didn't affect me in any way. Yeah, I do like it. So this is at this point in interviews, I do like to ask my guests if they have any like general thoughts about divination or if there's anything like about your own divinatory practice that you want to share. I assume you might have one. Oh man. Um, okay. There's a couple things I could talk about my growing obsession with really, really goofy tarot decks. Okay. Yeah. It's like, I've got a, it's like 10 different decks at this point. And like, 
out of all of them, I think maybe two of them are not silly, goofy, ridiculous things where it's like one of them is from a spirit Halloween. The other one was the, is the Miss Cleo power tarot. That sounds very powerful. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's how could you, how could you say no to the tarot deck endorsed by a TV psychic? Like it just makes perfect sense. And noted, noted con person too. <laughs> very <laughs> Look, Fantastic. In the words of Hagbar Chalene, there's no difference between a great magician and a great con man. It sounds very powerful. I love it. Yeah, I, I love a, a good goofy tarot deck for yeah, sure. Well, and we did a whole episode where I talked about a couple goofy decks that I had gotten from like a five below and all this stuff. So I my problem, right, is that I keep amassing these decks and I never use them because I don't trust them. <laughs> like there seems to be something about this idea of... Uh, I call it the Mickey Mouse tarot, and I got that from a a Robert Johnson thing where he's talking about a patient he had. Are, are you familiar? I know you talked about Young a little bit on your show. Are you familiar with Robert Johnson? No, you, but uh, I'm familiar with the term Mickey Mouse to refer to things as being like chintzy and made for children and low quality. <laughs> okay, I guess maybe, maybe it is a more general term than I thought it was. I think I picked this up when I was working in an auto shop. I think it's like something old men used to say. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> there was a... Uh, Robert Johnson had a patient, like a super short version. He had a patient and she was writing all of her dreams down in a, a little Mickey Mouse notebook and they weren't getting anywhere, like going session after session after session, nothing. And he finally goes like, listen, I just, I just don't think we're going to get anywhere until you get rid of that Mickey Mouse notebook. <laughs> and, and I, I really, that stuck with me. The idea of, uh, as much of a, a goofy jokey, uh, gibbering yahoo as i am when it comes to magic i tend to try to approach things with a with a sort of sense of like no this is a this is a sacred thing this is something important so i'm gonna come with the tools that are showing that sort of uh i, I don't want to keep using the word reverence but that's that's sort of uh acknowledgement of how important this is and if you can carry that emotion with you while you're using the harry potter the the glow in the dark harry potter wand or the the mickey mouse tarot then good on you i just generally i have a hard time with it okay yeah i was gonna ask like have you played around with the idea of like you know making the profane sacred or whatever you know and yeah that's a that is probably something i need to work a little harder on if i'm honest well but, it, uh, it goes back to my sort of issue with like pop culture magic too right need i mean i don't know needs a funny well, word too it's like maybe, i don't know maybe yeah. <laughs> if you well, think so then maybe but yeah, yeah. well it's it's sort it's not that because I've I've done plenty of these sort of goofier practices. I, you know, I, 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 you know, I came to this with the like Grant Morrison talking about invoking like the flashes uh, aspect of Mercury kind of nonsense. Classic, so I did. A, yes. Right, yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of that stuff at various times in my life. But at, at this point, I'm just like, it works. I have to put more effort into it. And I'm not about mm -hmm. working hard. Like it's just the fact is, you know. Yeah, sure it's not even, it's not a knock against it because if, if those sort of things do vibe really well for you and you get really great results out of it, fine. I just, it's a lot easier for me to get into the right zone when I'm doing something that feels like it has some cultural weight to it, I guess would be the proper term. I don't know. 
Yeah, it can just be like an aesthetics thing for people too, you know, like what feels more magic-y to you? Like, I mean, I don't know. I like the classics. I work with Hikate and shit. Like, I get it. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, and as far as, um, I, I think that that sort of stuff, especially like the really goofy side of it, like, you know, using your Mickey Mouse tarot or getting your, uh, your Jafar wand from Walmart toy section and doing a ritual with it. I think a lot of that stuff can be really useful depending on what you're doing. Cause like, if you're trying to accomplish something really stupid and goofy with magic, that's the perfect time to do that kind of stuff there there. That's the time that you get really drunk and put on like the party store wizard hat and be like, I'm going to do a ritual to get someone to fall on their face and slip on a banana peel. Like there's a, there's a time for doing the really kind of goofy magic that, the you know the the term we use constantly and we've already said it is the stuffy robe traditional type but the stuff that would make them cringe and be like these people are absolute morons that don't know anything about magic but there's a there's a place for that it's just not necessarily when you're trying to um you know do stuff that feels very important for you yeah it's all about like intentionality like you know this kind of cringy shit like it can it can be really powerful in terms of like breaking taboo or shit like that you know like it just it really all depends on application right Mm -hmm. magic is always context sensitive i think absolutely I think I have a I think I have a really strong desire to be like the the <laughs> now this will sound megalomaniac. I want to be like the best coyote ever. So when it comes to like anything, it's like, oh, I can't I don't do so hot making like, you know, doing magic with like You mean you, know, you want to be the wiliest coyote? I'm sorry. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Oh so brilliant. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's perfect. What what are we even doing? End the show perfect <laughs> no, uh, no 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 but uh i i there's this desire to like really to be able to do magic like successfully with anything you know it's like i to to be able to see the to find the sacred in everything to find the magic underneath every seemingly mundane or stupid thing and i think that's part of where when i say like you know i probably need to do more of that i think that's where it comes from but i i think that really is a even though my uh my my dear friend says I'm not about working harder, I think in a certain level there's there is this urge as an occultist to push yourself as far as you can, and if mm-hmm. you find yourself stagnating, maybe that is maybe that's part of it. Maybe finding the stuff that works is only part of it. Maybe the other half is having to go back and see like, well, this stuff that doesn't work is it something I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can get down with that. I I. I think to take a page from the Crowley book of uh, magic, a big thing that gets left out, especially in chaos magic, because so much of it is focused on getting results and finding what works the easiest for you is sort of a self-discipline kind of problem, I guess. Maybe that's the best word we could use for it. It's the idea that if you're not good at something, maybe put an honest effort into actually developing those sort of skills that's a, I, I can understand that. I personally, as far as the pop culture angle and the Mickey Mouse kind of magic uh, crap, I feel like it's just lacks a utility for me. You know, it's like, I can do all this stuff. I know I've done it plenty of times, but for what I'm trying to actually accomplish at this point in my life, it just, it's wasted effort. It's, it's it's not going to do anything other than prove to me that I can do it again. Like, aha, I still got it. 
I still know how to do a kickflip. You know, it's like, you know, it's like cool, but like, what's it, it's not going to do anything for me. I'm just imagining you in like the Halloween wizard costume and like a big, like, like a huge, like summoning circle. And you're like, ha, I still got it. I summoned, I summoned Disney's gargoyles. <laughs> An excellent oh. show, by the way. Oh yeah, dude. Gargoyles, super underrated. Yeah. Do you know that like most of the cast was voiced by people who were also in Star Trek Next Generation? Yeah. Fun fact. <laughs> I have a, um, one of my friends is a huge Trekkie and he went for like an hour and a half being like, and you know who else was in the next generation? <laughs> <laughs> and you know who else? <laughs> That's <so> funny. <laughs> uh, you know, um, to throw a, to throw it back to a uh, divination and bibliomancy for a minute, I do have a weird thing that I, I don't know if I've talked about it much on the pod. I know I've ranted at everyone in our discord about it before. Is it the sandwich thing? <laughs> no, but that's actually a good one. <laughs> I'll talk about that instead. That's way more entertaining. Um, well, you've I, talked about that on the pod, so. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, I used to do sandwich divination for people. That was a fun one. Okay, tell me about sandwich <laughs> divination. And I won't even ask you to define a sandwich and if a taco is one or any of that shit. Oh, no, no, you're going to we're going to go into bad territory if we go down that road. Anyway, um, yeah, no, sandwich divination. It's it's it was literally just this thing that I used to do because I would get sandwiches a lot while I was at work and I would, you know, go into whatever area of the occult social media circle I was at the moment. And I'd be like, hey, I'm giving out divinations. I got a sandwich. What do you want? And I would read people's divinations, like tell them what answer their questions by just opening the sandwich and looking at it and then coming up with, you know, a divination based off of that. And it has colored the way I view divination forever because more than half the time it got a very clear answer for people. And I think that unfortunately has just blended into how I view divination that it's I don't really worry that there's much um, real spooky woo-woo stuff going on here. I think that a lot of the, uh, I had a, oh God, I wish I had the quote. Someone talked about, I'll, I'll find the quote later and you can tell your listeners who it is because I'm sure they need to hear this sort of thing. But I, someone said that uh, tarot is an outer oracle that will lead you to the inner oracle. And I, that's a lot of how I view divination at this point is it the medium is very unimportant. What's important is being able to get towards whatever faculty we have. And I, I struggle to use the word internal here just because I'm not, you know, I, I, it, I have, I have philosophical issues with the idea of an external and innate, yeah, yeah, maybe. there we go. There we go. That's a good <laughs> innate. That'll work. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but yeah, the, the innate faculty we have that, allows us to reach the areas we need in divination the sort of the guiding light that goes where it needs to go the one that i struggle with the most at this point because i feel it's the one that continually breaks me on that is uh i ching and i i've just really gotten back into i ching in the like the last like two weeks or so so much to the point that I, I read uh, The Man in the High Castle for no other reason than people were like, oh yeah, Philip K. Dick wrote this using the I Ching and like people use it in the book constantly. I'm like, well, I guess I got to read it. And it's, <laughs> it's led to this continuing phenomena that I have where I read, because I don't read fiction often, like at all. I read a lot, but I'm not really reading like stories often. 
but whenever I do, whenever the wild hair comes across me, I always just end up getting synchronicities and various other things that just blow my mind and make me and color my magical work for the next period. And, you know, once again, the freaking the man in the high castle of all things did that. Oh yeah, so, that's very fucking cool. So yeah. I'm looking at the time here and I should ask, like, is there anything that I haven't asked about that you all want to discuss? Or do you have any questions that you want to ask me? Oh God, it's like so, so many. But I I think one thing maybe we could talk about, uh, as far as chaos magic is concerned, do you have a particular model that you tend to gravitate towards. I know that when you're in chaos magic, there's that thing of like, I can use whatever model is more convenient, but do you find yourself gravitating towards like, I, I know this is chaos magic, but I tend to work in this sort of spirit model, more this information model, the psychological model, perhaps. Um, so I'm really more of a meta model type person. I think that, I really do see all of the other models as being just sort of like maps for an undescribable territory. So that's kind of my perspective. I mean, I'll go to whichever one makes sense for the specific operation that I'm like doing at the time, you know, something mm. like energy model is a great touchstone for doing things like sex magic or something like that. Or, you know, if you're doing things like remote viewing experiments, then the psychology model works great, you know, so it just depends. I think that, all of these things, as I said, are just maps for an indescribable territory, though. That is probably the best answer. <laughs> you know, I would say, you know it be <laughs> the best all of all possible answers. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, best in quotes, but I mean, I, I, I do very much get down with that sort of uh, continuous flexibility of like, you know, what it's like I will, I will work in the thing that is going to be the most useful for the whatever I'm doing, I guess. So yeah, that's a good one. I think the one that's the hardest for me to get in touch with is spirit model. So I do a lot of work surrounding like deity work and like trying to sort of get my head around the experience that I see other people or like that they seem to be having surrounding some of this stuff. So that's kind of something that I'm working on in my practice. Uh, I got into astrology for that same reason where it's like astrology didn't make any sense to me. It just seemed very vague and easy to fudge. So I got really hard into it to the point that now I'm actively breaking myself of it. <laughs> Where it's like, all right, stop, <laughs> stop thinking about the damn planet so much. <laughs> I feel like Kabbalah is like that for a lot of people too. It's like, because you, you get the universal filing cabinet kind of Kabbalah from like, you know, again, people like the Golden Dawn and stuff where you can be like, oh, I got a thing that I can put any experience or any yes. deity or anything into and just All point this at All of his like, everything's Kabbalah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's a Lon Milo book, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> everything's Kabbalah. Oh, man. On sale now. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, no, um, I we're, we're kind of coming to the end here. So I guess I'll close with like, one of the big critiques I have of chaos magic. And this is sort of where I point towards the idea of like, why we need to start getting back to an area of innovation in chaos magic. Otherwise it will eventually die and it's not going to be the leading edge. It'll just be another of many, many systems that aren't doing anything new without going too heavy into the philosophy behind it, because our listeners know that I am a huge proponent of the, 
phenomenological and the existential school of philosophy, people like Heidegger and Marilu Ponty and stuff. But you can talk about Heidegger here. That's okay. We're, we're here for no, it. Well, no, because we only have so long left okay. and I'll go for three hours. <laughs> host is like, no. <laughs> Don't tell him he can talk about Heidegger. But anyway. Never um, mind. No talking about Heidegger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, without going too deep into it, there's an inherent Cartesianism that is really, really rampant in chaos magic. And it, it does come from the sort of inherently subjective and individualistic bend to chaos magic, which isn't the problem in and of itself, but so much of it leads to this sort of whatever I personally can come up with is valid only because it works for me and yada, yada, yada. And that's great because that's sort of the basis of it. But the underlying facet of that turns into that, that um, unexplainable indescribable territory that we're talking about is a big field of meaningless nothing. And that's why the psych model is so prevalent among chaos too, I think, because it leads to them being able to come up with, you know, basically being able to excuse overt nihilism without any sort of understanding of what that would entail for things like human rights or, you know, the fact that we have an overwhelming right wing kind of a cult community right now that will look at that sort of thing and be like, well, if you have a philosophy underlying your magic that there is no inherent value to anything, why can't I go be a fucking Nazi? And that's horrifying. And I mean, you know, I I can't really say a whole lot because I'm talking about Heidegger, but that being said, um, I think the problem we have for chaos magic right now is trying to find a model or rather a a new meta model that's beyond the belief as a tool kind of construct. And I personally found that in the work of uh, Bert Dreyfus, who's, you know, big, big Heidegger person who passed a couple years ago. But he wrote a book called All Things Shining that was about um, the... It was using um, the Western canon of literature as sort of an exploration of the changing understanding of being from the Homeric Greeks to the modern age. And he has this idea, essentially, that what creates intelligibility and what, you know, what allows us to make things understand the meaning behind things is the practices. And that's really what I think chaos magic is trying to come up to. But we get too caught up in the, even if we don't expressly call it a psychological model, but a psychological tinged model. Because that's what I think is really happening with chaos magic. And that's why all of these practices work in various ways is because it's the practices themselves that create intelligibility. The, The practices precede the theory. The short version is that the belief is one thing, but the really, really the belief comes from the doing, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There you go. I summed it up for you. Yeah, absolutely. It it didn't take me five hours either. (laughs) And well put. Fuck yeah. I really appreciate it. Well, SM Kennedy, co-host, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me here today. Where can folks find your work? Well, you can find us on our website, chaosmagicnews.com. We have articles and interviews with other people and links to the main thing that we do, the CMN pod. We're also on Spotify and RSS and 
Audible and Podvine and all that kind of good stuff. And you can check us out on all the social media things, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Chaos Magic News. All right. Fuck yeah. Well, I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Oh, don't. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm sorry. You've opened the door. We're going to have to have you on ours now. And <laughs> you're going to be like, it's going to be way less structured and worse than this. <laughs> well, well, we can uh, we can get into some philosophy and, and all the rest sometime. All right. Well, well, fuck yeah. Before they start charging me extra money, I'm going to stop recording. <laughs> Green Mushroom Project 23 Bibliomancy. Read by she sees something around her, around her, the ghost fragments of the brightness of what she has lost. I shall say that battle of the time of the Reiterate that they have to be 
reiterate that they have to be understood as coming in degrees along the sliding, powerful conjuration of the angel Sadekiel appears to the conjurer. Eloquence, most necessary to gain your ends or maintain on the night of the dark moon while you are sitting quietly at your dark. Can you trust the silent knowing and serving others? Try to remove the suffering of other people. Wants you to dissolve the sugar, loose the cover with the lid, and set aside to create the space for the journey to occur. Our creation stories, the origin of strawberries, is important. Sky woman's all of these numbers of sacrifice. Cleanse their defilements by practice. Cosinomancy, divination by a seed suspended on shears. Transgender news, since gay and mainstream media didn't cover it. Whom had long titles and honorifics, both before and output from AI. It's sort of a dossier. With a bag, because they're so new, figured I'd give it up if anyone asked. Nobody said a outer planet transit that it accompanies, but the event cannot be described without the stigma of having abandoned his parents and his ancestors. This is preferable to an isolated existence, lonely, bounded by a high brick wall. Without the stigma of having abandoned his parents and his ancestors, but this is preferable to an isolated existence, lonely. Bounded by a high brick wall. All right, that was the 23 Bibliomancy track featuring the first five books of our discovered scripture. Lots more to come here on the Lux Occult podcast. Stay tuned. Thanks so much to the folks from Chaos Magic News for joining me. You can check out the show notes for links to their stuff. I appreciate SM Kennedy and co host for being such good sports during the course of our conversation. I really enjoyed the discussion. I'm going to be a guest on their show coming up here in the near future to talk about the new album I'm finishing and the magical work that goes into producing these things, which is kind of a lot. I'll mention a little bit about it here in a couple minutes, uh, by the way. Uh, who knows, though? When I go on Chaos Magic News, we might just end up arguing more about Spare, which I'm certainly fucking here for. That was quite refreshing, so thank y'all. I did also want to say thanks so much to Lon Milo Duquette, not just for joining me to talk about the Babylon Rising Panthelemic Festival that I attended for the first time this summer and did some public ritual at, but for all of the work that he's done in taking complex occult concepts and making them accessible to modern folks who maybe don't have a liberal arts degree or whatever. It takes a really solid theoretical understanding of something to be able to do that, and Lon is a total legend for a reason. I just had to say that since we were poking so much fun at him earlier. Lots of folks seem to assume that I'm, like, super into Crowley's systems and writings and shit. I think it's interesting and obviously super influential. And if you have a deal where you were, like, spending lots of time talking to people about magic, Crowley is so popular that it helps to have some fluency with the concept so that you can understand what the fuck people are saying. When it comes to approach, though, I'm quite firmly in the Austin Osman spare camp, were we to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Organized religion or things that resemble it tend to feel too clunky for me to want to, like, fuck with them too much. But this is just me. There's obviously a tremendous amount of utility and power in those types of things for people, which is certainly one of the reasons why they're so popular. So, if you want to get into Crowley without having to exhaust yourself right off the bat by actually reading Crowley, definitely check out Law My Ludicat's work. There's a lot of good stuff there, and presented with enough self-irreverence to make up for some of the, I don't know, megalomaniacal vibes that waft like a smoky malaise off some of the stuff that Crowley has written. Uh, if you'd like to hear Lon explain some of the concepts surrounding 
Crowley's Duality of Babylon and the Beast, check out episode 59 of this show, The Rise of Babylon. And speaking of Babylon, thanks so much to Bobby Hale from listening post-alpha and the Temple of Babylon Quran's on for joining me. I love the idea of using spirit boxes as a way to find phrases to play the gematria game. Very cool. And making that something participatory that you can share with others can be a way of not only having fun with friends, but can add a lot of new and interesting dimensions to the work. I think a lot about this stuff. From the perspective of chaos magic, it's said that belief is a tool, right? What that means operationally is that the rubber sort of hits the road magically or whatever. Things quicken when one believes in that moment of doing the magic that without any shadow of a doubt, what you're doing will fucking work. Going from this basic premise and looking through the lens of like the psychological model, we could say a lot of interesting things about the way that dynamics of belief might change in groups, depending on how many people are around, who they are, and a variety of other social factors. Everything's an interaction, so there are like constant positive feedbacks being formed, and these can sometimes snowball, blooming into things that bud off from their original source and start rolling downhill. These sound a lot like claims about ontology, which I do try desperately to avoid, but this stuff is absolutely fascinating to me. I love it. Okay, so looking forward to sharing a bit about the new album and the magical process I use to make these things, as well as listener mail. There's a really well-written description of the experience of how our culture tells men they should interact with eroticism that I found really valuable and interesting. The more that we can understand where others are coming from with things like the experience of having gender put on you as an individual, the easier we can join hands and walk together out of the burnt lands of toxic gender stuff we find ourselves in now as a society and into more fruitful and equitable territory. Or such is my hope, at least. I'll also talk about 23 Bibliomancy and Green Mushroom Project stuff, but first, let me remind you to check out all the other awesome shows available on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. We've got Administrism, Grognostics, Primordia, Ad Hoc History, Smuts Up, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and XV Planus. Alright, fuck yeah, dope shit. Allow me now to give you an update about the Green Mushroom Project. Much love and much love to everybody participating in the project, regardless of what that looks like for you in your practice. Thanks so much to Ramon Castellanos, author of The Ancestral Now, for being a guest speaker for our Fungal Friday chat. Everybody really enjoyed the discussion of sovereignty and found a lot of value and utility in what you shared. You can find a link in the show notes to theancestralnow.com, which is where you can find Ramon's work. And there was an added benefit to having him there that night. With a guest on the chat, we were all on our very best behavior, and the dick jokes and discussions of interesting animal genitalia were kept to a minimum, at least until after midnight, when the discussion immediately deteriorated into talking about a new thing that we came up with, or maybe tapped into, since I'm guessing it's probably already a thing. Oh, yep, it's definitely a thing. <laughs> and that is Easter fetish. Rabbit ears, eggs, bunnies. He is risen. <laughs> sorry, I talked about Easter fetish. Not sorry. Looking forward to the next meeting of our sex magic study group book club here coming up. Shout out to everybody who attended the last one. Thanks for the fantastic and interesting discussion and uh, really looking forward to where this will go. So very cool. I'm also looking forward to the Six Ways by Aiden Walker book and practice discussion group, which will be coming this November, led by Lavender Laura. Shout out to Lavender. 
So we're preparing to conduct the 14th iteration of our monthly 23 Bibliomancy ritual this Saturday the 23rd, in which we use books and dice to discover the Green Mushroom Project's scripture and conduct exegesis thereon. In preparation for the third anniversary of the project's founding on Halloween of this year, we'll be selecting five random lines from the text and planning a celebratory ceremony with what we find. It's been a fascinating project so far, has 23 Bibliomancy, and has produced some positively spooky results, as well as some very interesting inspirations for things to pursue in my own magical practice, which is definitely something that Bobby Hell and I have in common in terms of like looking to these kinds of fun systems to find inspiration for uh, what you're going to do in your practice, so fuck yeah. I know that a few others have been playing with the 23 Bibliomancy stuff, and I'd be interested in hearing from anybody who has if they'd like to share thoughts or experiences. So the sound magic track that you heard after the Chaos Magic News interview was something that I produced using samples from the public domain that had the number 23 in their title, and I had some volunteers read the first five books aloud to be layered in. You can check out the 23 Bibliomancy Experiment on greenmushroomproject.com or episode 62 of this show, and you can join us on our Discord server, The Green Machine, to participate. Big thanks to Adam, Eco, Manu, and Old Tom for lending their voices to the mix. Alright, if you like the show and you're into what I've got going on over here, you can support it on Patreon. Making this thing is a pretty wild amount of work, especially for just one very busy person, but it means a lot to be able to do it. So thank you so much to the people who are making that possible by giving and donating and the rest and doing what they can to support the show by spreading the word. So tell your foes, your friends, and your lovers, and the person who uh, cooks your dog's special cupcakes about it. You can also post about it on social media or write a positive review. Both of these things are super helpful. So thank you so much to all of you who are already doing so. And yes, don't forget to smash the shit out of that follow button so you can get updates when new episodes come out. You can find Luxacult, Hello Void, and other merch available at Illumin Industries, which is my Etsy store. There's a link to that in the show notes. Items will be printed on demand using the most eco-friendly options I could find and shipped directly to you at pretty close to cost. So there's some pretty fun stuff in there, including a very cool design that Laughing Dog did for me that says Hello Void, and it's very, like kind of cyberpunk and fucking cool so his work is dope check out his shit as well let's do listener mail and shout outs speaking of the magical models earlier in my conversation with the chaos magic news folks there is something that I would contextualize and categorize, at least in my own way of approaching things as like an occultist and stuff, um, as a way of looking at the information model. And this is something that has gained a lot of popularity in recent years. Or maybe, I mean, I feel like it's kind of like Plato's cave, uh, but for materialists, and this is the simulation hypothesis. I'm taking a really fun uh, morbidanatomy.com class right now taught by Rizwan Verk, who wrote the book The Simulation Hypothesis, an MIT computer scientist shows why AI, quantum physics, and Eastern mystics all agree that we are in a video game, which is a very descriptive title and definitely says a lot. I'm really enjoying thinking about the simulation hypothesis as a way to access the information model of magic. 
And it has the potential, I think, to forge some inroads uh, to spirituality for people that might be feeling cut off from spirituality. My spouse made the comment to me the other day when we were talking about it that if a lot of folks start adapting this worldview, somebody probably like Elon Musk or somebody like that will be like, hey, okay, so guys, I figured out the simulation. I know what to do. If you want to become a player character, you just got to do X, Y, and Z, and then you get to the next level and then control the simulation just like Neo in the Matrix. And we'll have like a whole new version of pretty much any major religion you can think of um, if this isn't already happening now. But maybe using magic is a way to be more of a player character in the simulation. What do you all think? Maybe I figured it out. <laughs> Shout out to the very cool Rizwan Burke and my fellow students, if any of you are listening. I'm really enjoying the class. I fucking love science fiction with a passion, and it's been so rad exploring this stuff and hearing people's perspectives. And shout out to Morbid Anatomy for offering such cool learning opportunities as well. Speaking of which, Dr. Vanessa Sinclair and Carl Abrahamson are teaching a very cool class called Harnessing the Magic and Creative Power of the Cut-Up Method, a la William S. Burroughs, David Bowie, Genesis Peorage, and others. It's very fucking cool. There's so much intersection with stuff that I like to do in my practice, and the work of Temple of Psychic Youth or Psychic Individuals has been such an important influence on me and a lot of my friends, so it's difficult to not sort of be like continually fangirling out, but it's really fantastic stuff. Uh, greetings as well to Tom Banger and to Thomas Michael, if either of you are listening. Um, and shout out to Chelsea, stoked that you found my interview with J.S. Groves in episode 66 useful and have decided to start playing with the Picatrix. Very fucking cool. Andy, I was kind enough to reach out about Spinoza, which I did ask for last time and shared their article about Jewish mysticism, cut-ups, and more. It was absolutely fire, fuck yeah. Andy and I will be recording a conversation together soon, which I am very much looking forward to. So this next thing will be a good lead-in for me to start talking about my album because it has to do with the topic of eroticism, which is a major component of that work. For me, this is in many ways about self-transformation. The experience of making the albums changes me in ways which are intentional and magically planned and ways which are expected and surprising as well. It's kind of a mixed bag, you know? The eroticism in general is an incredibly powerful weapon in the arsenal of those who wish to confront the systems of control they find around them in ways that are meaningful in changing one's own perspective. People like George Bataille have written a lot of interesting stuff on the topic. Bataille in particular has a lot to say about the ways in which eroticism challenges fascism and the ways in which fascism seeks to suppress and exploit eroticism. It's really interesting stuff. So sort of staying on the topic of eroticism and the context in which it's suppressed, this commentary is from the Green Machine Discord server. Shout out and much love to everybody there. So honored to be part of such a cool community where interesting conversations like this, as well as a bunch of silly fun shit, can be enjoyed. In response to a conversation about how people in our culture sometimes seem to feel, I don't know, threatened or off-put by sexuality, Johnny Nada writes, Weirdly, I think this is especially true of a lot of heterosexual men. We're taught that we're supposed to be very ego-dominant and rational and to distance ourselves from pretty much every overwhelming emotional response except anger. And while men are supposed to express sexual desire, it's only supposed to be expressed in a very one-sided, shallow, and decidedly non-erotic way. And it's only acceptable to the extent that it's applied to a narrow subset of socially sanctioned subjects. Being confronted with genuine eroticism is existentially terrifying if you're heavily socialized this way. 
Sexuality is something pre-rational and existing entirely for itself without any external referent, which arises for itself without asking for permission, a mysterious process within which subject and object become increasingly entangled to the extent that one expresses one's agency largely by giving it up, accepting restraint, becoming overwhelmed. Sex which is not simply something that you have, but rather something that also has you. There is really no greater threat to the stable egoism that is supposed to constitute temporary masculinity, because it reveals even the most enduring masculine edifices as a fiction erected on a foundation of air. And no matter how big and strong you build the walls, it doesn't matter, because the outside is already inside you. Fucking A. Alright, really eloquently written, Johnny. Thank you so much. God, uh, lots to say about this, but in general, I would just say that it's just kind of heartbreaking, you know, in a lot of ways. Like, what the actor and former National Football League player Terry Crews refers to as the cult of masculinity recruits people with promises of superiority and power, but this comes at the very high price of obedience to its dictates and adherence to its ethos while sacrificing many aspects of one's humanity. The phrase, be a man, is something that people have been using for a long time to control other people. For the people who have been indoctrinated by our society into this way of thinking, pushing against it is especially difficult because to do so one must be ready to set aside what has been contextualized for you as privilege in our social order, which I mean it is, even though this order is, as Johnny Nada so succinctly put it, a fiction erected on a foundation of air. So working against something you've been told your whole life and made sacrifices for and everything is very, very difficult, especially just from a psychological perspective. So to the people who are like doing personal work along these lines, working to unlearn some of the lies that you've been told about women and about men and about the rest of it, I just want to say that I really respect that. I'm working on it too. Let's keep working on it. Being an example in the world and helping to show others that there are alternative points of view is incredibly fucking important and incredibly valuable, so fuck yeah. We're gonna hear another track from Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2, The Green Mushroom Project and We The Hollow Digital Mixtape, but before we do, let me share a little bit about how I make my sound magic stuff. I hesitate to call it music, but that's probably more about the internal semantic demons with which I struggle than anything else. Call it what you will, it doesn't matter. Uh, so this is how it's made, and the making of it is the important and magical part for me anyway. So to put it in a sort of nutshell, what I do is I record myself conducting magic rituals, and then I listen to these recordings while I conduct more rituals along the same lines, and then I take that recording and I add it into the first one, and then I take that recording of the first two, and I run another ritual, and I put that recording into it, and over and over again. So it, it relies on this kind of positive feedback loop process. In addition to these recordings of me conducting rituals, I use samples from the public domain and found sounds and other things. This most recent project includes a lot of recordings of machines operating, as well as a lot of recordings that were taken from the NASA website of things that are happening in space and stuff, which are very interesting. I often will add sigilized poetry or other components to these tracks, and have sometimes played with using things like dance and other components in their production as well. 
an aspect of the project is experimenting with working in a very direct way with the sort of spirit of the work itself. The second album that I produced included a special track which I made in an attempt to sort of see if I could create haunted objects using this sound magic. If I could take items and invest them with the spirit of this project and interact with those in a really sort of direct way in order to produce more things, you know, more ritual work for this continuing kind of thing. So that's also a component of this work as well. One of the rituals that I did at the Babylon Rising Panthelemic Festival this summer was just along these lines and was involving an experiment to see if I could haunt objects for other people using this track. While I conducted that ritual, I recorded audio, which I added to the original Vested track. It's called Vested. Um, and a new version of the Vested track, which includes the Babylon Rising audio, will be part of this new album. One place where this new album diverges from the other two is that I decided to include one of my kind of uh, nom de plumes as a contributor. And it's a sort of like, I suppose you could contextualize it as like a sort of identity magic thing or performance magic, a sort of mode that one can enter to conduct a certain set of operations, if you will. Um, I've taken a lot of inspiration from people like David Bowie with some of the interesting identity explorations that they conducted. And so, yeah, that's that's a little bit of an aspect of this project for me as well. So what I'm about to read you is a little bit about that, about this decision of wanting to, instead of kind of fight against this other identity that was wanting to kind of come to the table and participate in this work, instead of, you know, keeping them outside of the magical circle or whatever, inviting them in and all of the volatility that that engendered and, and really sorting that out. So this is the kind of like little introduction to the essay that I've written about Void Machine Adjustment. It began as a necessity, a gasp for air, or an irrepressible scream rising from the center of our awareness. We fought it, and we fought each other, until, both bloodied and battered, we decided to turn our blades away from one another's necks and attack on a new flank. We joined hands and we melded minds, and as one we made forays into strange and hostile territories. Through the hot, damp darkness we followed the whisperings we had been batting back and forth, each blaming the other for the presence of the creature that had begun undeniably to grow in the space between us. We had rallied and railed against it for as long as we had noticed its shallow breath and the weak pulse beating below its surface. In the beginning, it was possible to keep it in a jar and watch to see what it could do and what it might teach us. Disgust mixed with the delight of curiosity satisfied as we studied it, feeling its ugliness like a foreign object in our bodies. We didn't realize until it was almost too late, until after it had broken free from the little incubation prison we had and our hubris made for it, that we were also feeding it with our attention, with our recursive interest, with our obsession. The corpse of this beast we now present to you. It was stalked over many nights of weary watching and mornings spent in ruminations so strong they became fire. 
We waited and watched, studying its habits. It made its presence known to us, as well as making known to us its awareness of our presence. A conversation then began in earnest, and it told us of its origins. When we at last cornered it, it lashed out with a ferocity that was only matched by ours. When we looked into its eyes, we were looking into our own eyes. The barriers between subject and object were dissolved in the ecstasy of this frenzy. It was the fuel for the transformation we underwent as we consumed it and were consumed by it. So the process of making this thing was pretty wild and took me to some uncomfortable places. I'm kind of nervous to release it, mostly because so much of what is expressed in it is stuff that I've been conditioned not to say or think or feel or whatever. There's a lot of stuff about trying to resolve trauma to... It's not pretty, but it is honest. Probably one of the most honest things I've made, but it's probably why it's so terrifying and why, obviously, I need to do it. By breaking this inner taboo that I seem to have, by putting this thing out there, it will make adjustments to me, allowing me to move past the barriers that currently stand in my way and onwards in the direction of liberation. Art and magic both have the potential to do this for us. And even though I feel super nervous, I'm really stoked. Void Machine Adjustment will be released on Friday the 13th of October 2023. We're going to hear another track from Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2, The Green Mushroom Project and We the Hollow Digital Mixtape. This one is going to be The Entheogenic Prayer. So this is written by Guillermo Zagara and read by Yara Murud. And it's got a short disclaimer, an explanation, and intention-setting ritual for psychedelic explorers. I'm also going to read the Green Mushroom Project Statement of Resistance, but before I do, I'd like to remind you that if there's something you feel you need to artistically express in the world but find yourself hampered by fear, shame, or other factors, it can sometimes be worth it to push against those things and ask yourself why they're there. Where did those shame messages come from? And are they valuable and useful now? As practitioners of magic, as artists, as creatures, we each have the prerogative of deciding that type of stuff for ourselves. Shame and fear are great ways of controlling people. So in what ways did the shame or fear that we feel result directly from such abusive coercion, whether on the part of individuals or larger structures? If you're afraid, who or what would be afraid if you weren't afraid? <laughs> worth parsing out as you remind yourself to resist. Resist by maintaining sovereignty of the self. Resist by maintaining love of the self. Resist by maintaining fierce loyalty to love and pleasure. Resist with acts of radical kindness. Focus on the path to better times. Fuck yeah. Thank you so much to the folks from Chaos Magic News, to Bobby Hale from Listening Post Alpha and Temple of Babylon Karanzon, Thanks to everybody who contributed tentacle poetry for the Cryptography Poetry Contest. Thanks also to everybody who contributed tracks to the Green Mushroom Project We the Hollow Digital Mixtape Fuck Around and Find Out Part 2. And most of all, thanks so much to you for listening. This is Lux Estrada reminding you to stay strong and stay fucking curious. The Entheogenic Prayer by Guillermo Zagara Read by Yarmarud. Disclaimer. Many psychoactive substances are dangerous or illegal. The author, narrator, and the Green Mushroom Project do not condone their use or engaging in any harmful or illegal activity. Please proceed with caution. <laughs>
The entheogenic prayer was designed to influence a user's mindset during a psychedelic journey. It can help us surrender and allow the experience to transpire with faith, acceptance, and equanimity. It acknowledges our desire for a safe, pleasant journey while setting a specific intention, to accept what is revealed with benevolence and goodwill. The prayer is a message to the subconscious, a reminder to be open wherever the experience takes us. Whether it's to commune with spirits, tap into vital energy, dive deep into the subconscious, access integrated information, or to just explore inner space, the entheogenic prayer works with any model or approach and is useful for both solo and group excursions. So without further ado, here is the entheogenic prayer. Great teacher, tell me what I need to know, show me what I need to see, teach me what I need to learn. May I be happy and at peace, may I be well in body and in mind, may I be safe from inner and outer danger, may I be free from suffering and confusion. So be it, so it is, and so it is. Safe travels. Lux Occult is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to XV Planets. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. My name is Flood, and I am the host of XV Planets, a bi-weekly podcast of the odd and unusual. The core of XV Planets is a documentary-style exploration into paranormal investigations that I and my ever-evolving group of magical misfits conduct. We take a look at the history, the mystery, then go see it for ourselves, and then we bring that experience, and on occasion, that evidence, to your ears. Alongside the investigations, you'll find a treasure trove of other content, like interviews with authors, art historians, mediums, UFO researchers, cryptid hunters, fellow paranormal investigators, as well as deep dives into the arts, exploring topics like the killing joke frontman Jazz Coleman's magical practices, and how that propelled the band forward, and whether or not David Lynch was really conducting occult rituals through Twin Peaks The Return. So follow XV Planets today and get caught up on the journey, because I can promise you, it only gets stranger from here. I'll see you on the fifth plane. What scares you? Ghosts. Aliens. Monsters. The occult. Conspiracies. Some of you like to be scared, and unearthing paranormalcy is for you. Some of you try everything you can to avoid it. Unearthing paranormalcy is for you. We take the topics that scare some, and we dig in to find the source, then present the history to make the paranormal a little more normal. We also throw in a bit of comedy to shed a light on some of the darkness in the world. So whether you're scared of bumps in the night, what's inside your own mind, or strange lights in the sky, we cover it all. We dig in and present all that we find and try to come up with some logical and not so logical reasons for the high strangeness happenings. Sometimes we are scared of the things we don't understand. And the more we understand, the less we fear. So find us, Unearthing Paranormalcy, on your favorite podcast app. And join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UMP Normalcy. And until next time, keep digging. Do you have too much on your mind? Are your neural processes slowed by unused memories cluttering up your Illumin Industries installed electro-bio-memory implant? the Illumin Industries Memory Cloud Service, you can upload these precious moments for preservation and enjoy them whenever and wherever you wish without sacrificing operational speed. 
Something you'd rather never have to think about again? Users can tag and organize memories to allow for selective viewing. Only the best of memories. Memory Cloud, just another way Illumin Industries is making IT work for you. The CyberCab blog for important information about our privacy policy. And Lumen Industries and its affiliates reserve the right to change these policies at any time without notice. Memory Cloud data is backed up daily, not responsible for lost or corrupted files. Must be Aluminum Select Memory to use memory tagging feature. Remember. <laughs>